The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the city council. City council meetings are held at 7 p.m. two Mondays per month in council chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on at and Uverse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to our January 22nd, 2024 meeting of City Council. Please stand and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, Lacey, would you please call roll? Honorable Mayor Donker. Here. Councilman Arnoski. Here. Councilman Solar. Here. Councilman Brown Wilhelm. Here. Councilman Waspinski. Okay, thank you. Councilman Waspinski sends his regrets that he's not able to be here this evening. All right, does anyone on council have a conflict of interest with anything that is on this evening's agenda? Okay, seeing none, then we'll move on to the consent agenda. All resolutions marked with an asterisk are considered to be routine and will be enacted by one motion. There'll be no separate consideration of these items unless a citizen or council member so requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda as indicated. If there is even a single request, the item will be removed from the consent agenda without further motion and considered in its listed sequence in regular fashion. Can we have a motion to approve the consent agenda? So moved. And second. The first and a second. Any discussion on this? Anyone want an item removed? Anyone from the public want an item removed from the consent agenda? All right, seeing none, then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 4-0. All right, that takes us down to public comment. This is an opportunity for the public to comment on issues relevant to council business, but not on this evening's agenda. Is there any public comment this evening? Seeing none, then we'll move on. That takes us now to item number three, which is the second reading of the um, recreation ordinance, fee ordinance. And Karen Murphy is here to tell us about that. Thank you, Mayor Donker. Um, so each year, the Parks and Recreation Commission undergoes a process to review the recreation fees. Um, this involves a public hearing at the Parks Commission. And um, this year, there were no comments made at the public hearing, and there are very minimal changes to the fees for being proposed. And so there was not a joint meeting held with city council. That sometimes is a portion of the steps. The first reading came to council on January 8th. And today I'm here with the second reading and consideration for adoption. Uh, the proposed fee changes are as follows. To increase adult and youth softball fees, adult by $3 per player and youth by $2 per player. To eliminate the toboggan adventure package offered at City Forest because it's too weather dependent and we've actually had to cancel on more groups than we've actually been able to host. Um, add a detail in the park's trash can rental 
to clarify that these are um, for non-park and for-profit events. Under the swimming ordinance, to combine the limited pass for youth and adults into one limited pass for all ages at $60 for 15 admissions. To increase aqua size daily drop-in from $5 to $12. And just to make a point, this looks like a big fee increase. We haven't utilized the aqua size fee in probably 10 years, and so it's very outdated. And now we have an instructor who's interested in doing a class for us again. So we're going to give it a try. So that's why it looks like a rather large jump. Increase the competitive swim rental from $65 to $75 per hour and clarify language in the ordinance so that the unlimited season pass is clearly stated for youth and senior. And then one final change is to increase the dolphins swim rate from $5,500 to $5,750 per season. This does not require an ordinance change, but since, because it is a fee increase, I wanted to make sure the council was aware of it. Uh, so as I mentioned, tonight I'm here for a second reading and consideration to adopt these new fees, and the fees would go into effect upon publication of the ordinance. Okay, does anyone have any questions for Karen Murphy? Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Right, are there anyone, any comments from the public as it relate, relates to the uh, recreation fee ordinance? Seeing none, then thank you. Do we have a motion then to accept this resolution? So moved. Second. First and second, all right. Any discussion on this? All right, seeing no discussion, then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? That passes 4-0. Thank you very much, Karen. Okay, that takes us down to item number four, which has the first reading of a payment in lieu of taxes ordinance for affordable 204-unit um, housing uh, located at 115 East Lawn. And Mr. Kane is here to tell us about that. Good evening. Good evening. So jumping right in, our uh, request tonight comes from River Caddis Communities, project located at 115 East Lawn Drive. That property is shown on the screen. This is the northeast corner of East Lawn Drive and Jefferson Avenue, just a diagonal from the Greater Midland Community Center former site of the East Lawn Elementary School. City Council will recall that on January 9th of last year, the PUD concept plan for the 204 units of uh, housing on this site was approved. That plan is shown on the screen. You'll see there are six separate multifamily buildings proposed with this project with a community building. Uh, one story is in height proposed for the intersection at East Lawn and Jefferson, so at the lower left-hand corner of this outline. On the screen, you'll see a rendering of that proposed project. Again, uh, this would be taken roughly from the position of the city's water tower across the street. And you'll see the community building uh, here at the lower left corner at the intersection and then six three-story multiple family buildings uh, throughout the development along with the associated parking and other site improvements. So we're here tonight to talk about a payment in lieu of taxes request. This is a resubmittal of a request that was uh, previously considered and rejected by City Council. I'm uh, gonna go real quick through what has changed and what has not. So in terms of the breakdown of units within the project, those have remained the same. And those are shown on the screen. There is a proposed range of household incomes between 30% area median income and 120% area median, median income. All units are one or two bedroom units and that breakdown is also shown there. 
The applicant's still proposing a 4% pilot rate, but they are proposing instead of the 45-year term that was rejected by city council, a 30-year term. Proposed rent ranges remain the same as before, $470 a month to $2,000 per month, depending on the size of the unit and the household AMI. Act 346 of the Michigan State Housing Development Authority Act uh, provides the authorization for local units of government to enter into payment in lieu of taxes agreements for affordable housing projects. Um, we have enabled our ability to do that locally under Article 13, Section 2-260 of the City of Midland Code of Ordinances. That section states uh, a little bit about the purpose of our ordinance. Um, it acknowledges that it's a proper public purpose, both in the state of Michigan and within political subdivisions such as the city of Midland, to provide housing for citizens of low and moderate income and to encourage those developments uh, by providing a service charge in lieu of property taxes or a pilot. That ordinance section further acknowledges um, that there's a public benefit and a valid public purpose by providing these housing types within our community and providing the incentive via the pilot um, as a means of creating this type of housing uh, within the community. Pilots are an essential component of utilizing low-income housing tax credits. Low-income housing tax credits, I know you all received an article earlier today that talked a little bit about this program. They were created under the Tax Reform Act of 1986 as a way to incentivize construction of new or rehabilitation of existing affordable rental housing for low-income households. It's not the only tool for creating affordable housing, but it's by far the predominant tool that's used not only in the state of Michigan, but around the country as a means of creating affordable housing. Within Michigan, low-income housing tax credits are awarded through a competitive process with the Michigan State Housing Development Authority, or MISHTA. A critical component of MISHA's review process is local support, and they look to the pilot agreement as a way of demonstrating local support for a project. Payment in lieu of taxes is a fee that's paid annually by the property owner to the taxing authority instead of or in lieu of paying ad valorem taxes, and it's by agreement with the taxing authority, which in this case is the city of Midland. A payment in lieu of taxes fee is based upon a formula uh, which basically has to do with the rents that are coming in, tenant fees that are being paid, minus any vacancies, minus any eligible utility costs, times the proposed pilot rate, which again, tonight's request is a 4% rate. Pilot rates can be sent between 4 and 11%. Revenues that are received through a pilot payment are distributed on a pro rata basis to other taxing jurisdictions. So. Uh, Midland County, the school district, others that would receive taxes normally through an ad valorem process would receive their proportion of the pilot fee um, each year when it's collected by the city. As I mentioned, pilots are required by Michigan to underwrite a LIHTC project. Uh, the fixed nature of the pilot fee, so the predictability of the fee um, compared to ad valorem taxes, which can obviously um, vary dramatically year to year, is critical to creating a sustainable financial model for an affordable housing project such as this. Midland has used this tool widely in the past. From 1979 with our first pilot to 2022, city councils approved 22 separate pilots for LIHTC developments, totaling 678 units. All pilots that were approved prior to 2021 were at a 4% pilot rate, which is the minimum rate. 
There were no local time limits imposed on any agreements prior to 2016. So those agreements basically were, as long as the mortgage existed on the property, those agreements remained in place. Since 2021, City Council has approved three pilot agreements with Center City Lofts, Lincoln Park Phase 1 and Lincoln Park Phase 2. Each of those agreements was at a 9% rate for 20 years. Looking at the revenue projection from this project, total estimated uh, revenues based on 2023 uh, rates would be 97712 under the pilot agreement. The total estimated tax bill based on the 2023 tax roll would have been 704800 As noted in the applicant's letter, however, uh, an affordable housing project such as this is entitled under statute to a minimum of a 10% payment in lieu of taxes um, when they meet the uh, requirements for that. The applicant has provided a breakdown of the revenues um, under a 10% rate as opposed to the 4% rate. So I'd encourage council to keep that in mind as you consider the deferred uh, revenues as a result of issuing a pilot agreement uh, in this case. It's not quite as steep of a drop as this would uh, portray. Can you just explain one thing to me? The total estimated 2023 tax bill, the 700, that estimated, I don't think I understand that exactly. So that would be under an ad valorem tax. So if we were to look just at the estimated value of the project, if as it were to it, come under the tax rolls as a normal market rate project, as any other building or home that's constructed in Midland would, without a pilot, that's the assessor's estimated tax bill. So it's what it would be um, in comparison to the 97 that we would get for the pilot fee. Correct. Thank you. Going into a little bit about the need for affordable housing in the city of Midland, our 2018 housing study showed an unmet need of 1,024 rental units for households that were at or below 30% area median income. For households in that range, um, a shortage of supply has um, some pretty precarious impacts at least the housing instability for households, uh, which can mean homelessness, but it can also just mean going from family to family, doubling up in a unit, um, living in a car, um, or just simply not being able to keep up with rent and having to move frequently um, due to that. Um, and again, the unsustainable pressure. So if you have units, the units we do have available because we don't have enough, um, they tend to command a higher price. Um, they put a big strain on household budgets uh, most rules of thumb say 30% of your income should go to housing. Um, we have a significant amount of households, about 40% um, here in Midland County that pay more than 30% of their income on either rent or mortgage. And so the higher that gets, the harder it is for households to keep up. In addition, that same study found that there is also a deficit of rental units in the 75 and up AMI ranges of 784 rental units between 75 and 110% AMI and 650 units at 110% plus AMI. Obviously a lot has happened since 2018, uh, but housing production since then has not been sufficient to, to address any of these market deficiencies that were identified in that study. Um, and most of the market trends that we've seen since that time have only exacerbated those um, existing conditions that were present during the 2018 studies production. Since 2000, housing production in the city has been at its lowest rate per decade since the 1940s. So from 1950 to 2000, the city was producing significantly more housing um, per decade than we have been in the years since 2000. 
Median rents in Midland increased faster between 2010 and 2021 than they did at the state or national level, and they also increased 10% faster than inflation. So we're seeing additional pressures on local rents um, and even higher pressures here than around the state of Michigan or the nation. Significant increases in interest rates and construction costs have also impacted the ability to produce housing in Midland. Um, that affects all types of housing, and we're seeing that in talking with folks that are building housing at all different income strata and all different types of housing. In Midland, we see some very high valuations on proposed projects, everything from we had an over $500,000 duplex recently. Um, so numbers that we haven't historically seen. But these trends in the market have a especially high impact on affordable housing projects such as this. So going back to the city's criteria for pilots, so we have three criteria that were created back in 2003 that are reviewed with a pilot request. The first is that the proposed development will meet a demand not adequately addressed in the existing inventory of community rental housing. I've already spoken a little bit to that tonight. The applicants also provided their own independent market analysis um, to show that there is demand for the type of housing that's proposed in this project. The proposed development will not have a negative impact on the existing rental housing market for substantially similar units. And again, the applicant has provided a market study that attests to that as well. And finally, a pilot agreement is essential to the financing of the proposed development. And as I mentioned earlier, a pilot agreement is an essential component of MISHA's consideration of a request for LIHTC funding. The Housing Commission uh, reviewed the prior request, the 45-year 4% pilot request that was submitted by River Caddis on November 2nd, 2023. At that time, there were 11 public comments on the proposal, four in support, five in opposition, and two folks who provided us with general comments. The Housing Commission ultimately recommended that City Council approve that, that pilot request as presented, four to zero. Tonight's pilot request, 30 years at 4%. We do have eight written correspondences. Um, some of those were in your packet this evening. The ones that were received after the packet was created were provided to you on the dais this evening. Two of those written correspondences were in support and six were in opposition. Tonight's request is first reading of this pilot ordinance. Uh, that does require a three-fifths vote in order to give first reading. And if first reading is given tonight, this ordinance would come back for second reading and consideration for adoption at your meeting on February the 19th. All right. Does anyone on council have any questions for Mr. Kane? I have a couple questions, Jacob, you might be able to answer. Um, this, is, this is really about low-income housing. Uh, that's what the pilot statute address, speaks to. Um, so with respect to the design, the layout of this particular uh, development, will all the low-income housing units, that those, and I speak to those being the 30 and 40 percent of AMI or less, will those all be in one of the six building units or will they be spread throughout? My understanding is that it's the applicant's intent to have those scattered throughout the, the complex. But of course, as people move in and out, uh, it's likely to change over time. But I believe they were asked that question at an earlier uh, meeting and that that was their answer. So, okay, it's not going to be in one building, but when you, what you just said, I wasn't clear whether it's going to be dedicated apartments or there will be whatever apartment happens to open up. Um, I believe they were, will dedicate individual units for each income strata. They do have to mix the one and two bedroom units according to the ratios that are provided to MISHA 
Um, but those may be swapped out over time as people move in and out. Okay. Do we have, if, if I understand it correctly, if, if there's not low income, however we end up defining that, uh, tenants there and somebody else moves in that's not, that doesn't meet that qualification, we're supposed to be charging ad valorem uh, property taxes on that unit. Do we have the capability to even track it when you've got them scattered throughout six different buildings and you have the potential for them going up and down? Sure, that's a great question. We actually have at least one existing development within the city that is not fully affordable, um, that participates under a pilot ordinance. Um, it's actually, I believe, our first um, adopted pilot, if I'm not mistaken, at Charter Square. That development is split between market rate and pilot affordable. Um, and presumably since 1979, we've been able to keep um, those two straight. I, I believe we would be able to continue to do that moving forward. Okay, I just, it seems like quite a bit of a enforcement and audited and auditing burden upon our uh, assessor. If you well, Misha's gonna have to do that work anyway. Misha's underwriting the mortgage, and so that, that work will be done one way or another, whether it's the city assessor or Misha, to make sure those income limits are, are adhered to. Okay, and in the, I think you had it on the slide, but again, with the, the 2016 study, um, what was our shortage of units in the lower income, the 30 to 40% or AMI or less? So that particular study um, used 30% as a break in okay. point, and for 30% and under, it was 1,024 rental units within the city of Midland. There were separate statistics for owner units within that study. So that's, say that again, please. 1,024 rental units for households 30% AMI and lower. Is it, that's, that's the shortfall? Yes. Um, and is that all in multifamily uh, buildings? Not necessarily. It doesn't make a distinction between different housing types, just the, whether it's owned or rented. A couple slides back, <clears throat> it said, uh, I thought it said 2023. And were you comparing the... 97,000 to the 704. I think it's important to make the distinction that we're getting, we're not getting 704 right now. We didn't get 704 in 2023, right? That's That property is getting $0 in taxes right now. Correct. The property as it sits today still is owned by Midland Public Schools. It is tax exempt. There's no tax collection on the property, which has been the case um, for the entirety of the time the school district has owned it, which I believe goes back to the 1940s. Um, that is an estimate by the city assessor based on a estimated valuation of the project upon completion based upon current millage rates under the 2023 tax rules. So not dollars the city of Midland's receiving today. One other question, and this relates to the, the LIHTC part of it. So there's, as I understand, there's three different categories of tax subsidy that are that are being requested uh, for this property. There's there's a, they had an RA2 or something. There was a, there was a grant of $3 million back in the summer that would go to the developer here. Um, and then you talked about LIHTC. LIHTC is different than the pilot, right? Because there's a 4% of, and I believe it's 4% of construction costs or 9% of construction costs that will be given as a tax credit every year for the next I think I read 10 years, I don't, the, the materials that, that were provided didn't have that, I had to go independently and look at that. 
Is that your understanding as well? Generally, I would agree with what you just Do you out. have any idea what that tax credit amounts to for this particular project, the way it's proposed? No, and as I understand it, generally, you don't know what that tax credit will be until the awards are announced by MISHTA. Okay. Do you have any rough idea what the cost to construct is going to be for this project? I want to say the last estimate I heard was $55 million, but I'll let the applicant correct me if I'm incorrect. Okay. So that either, so some portion of that, well, it's going to be, as I understand, it goes into two different categories, 1%, 1.9%, but they'll get 4% if you just split it, in, you know, 25 million and 30 million, 4% of 25 million for the next uh, 10 years or 9% of 30 million for the next 10 years. So it's quite a bit of tax, if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, and, you, and just so we understand that LIHTC is different than pilot, and then they're coming to us and ask for a reduced uh, tax rate as well. Sure, so again, LIHTC and pilot are paired in Michigan, because the state of Michigan and MISHA, they want to see local participation in the financing of these projects. And the pilot is the mechanism through which local units of government are able to financially participate in making these projects viable. The tax incentives that are provided by MISHA and the LIHTC program and through this pilot are helping to fill a gap in costs that results from having lower, um, voluntarily committing to lower your rental rates below what the market would bear to what households can afford. So you're locking yourself into that lower rate of income over time. These tools help to fill those gaps as you move forward so that you can own, operate, and maintain the property properly while also providing affordable housing. You yeah. could not build a 30% AMI housing unit from scratch without an incentive. Yeah, I'm just trying to understand that the tax savings seem really substantial because, you know, 4% times a construction cost you know, over 10 years, that's, you know, you're, you're basically having your, your, your construction costs reimbursed, unless I'm doing my math wrong, so. Uh, but isn't that a state incentive? It is it, not it a is. local, that's a It's coming process. out of the state. The state has put in place. Yeah, as I understand, the federal government provides the money to MISHTA. Mm -hmm. MISHTA administers the allocation of those funds through this program out into projects right. across the state of Michigan. And so they have they have scoring matrices that they use to evaluate projects and determine their suitability for funding. The 4%, the, the support that you've outlined is the same as for all of the prior pilot mm -hmm. agreements that the city's entered into uh, in the city of Midland, including the three since 2021, would be receiving the same level of support under that scenario as this project. Yeah, I think I think as a council, we're becoming more knowledgeable about how this works that maybe we didn't have uh, in the past. And I just I, I raise that because we're being asked here today to give to approve a four percent, not approve, but at least go to the second reading, a four percent um, thirty-year uh, pilot which has quite a bit of economic effect, but that's, we have to understand that that's not standing alone. That's not the only incentive on this particular project. There's other fairly substantial chunks of, in the millions uh, that apply to this project as well. Okay, I just want, I think you and I are on the same page in terms of what is happening, so thank you. Sure. So I have a curiosity question. New development, build a duplex, 500,000. What would the average rent be for that? each side well I will admit we, we don't audit local rents uh, mm -hmm. periodically 
Um, I'm aware of one project in the community. It's not quite a duplex. It's mm -hmm. similar in amenity. I think they're fourplex units. And last I heard, they were running for $2,500 a month. Okay. That was a project that's, I think, about 12, 14 years old. So not necessarily affordable for someone who's in a works for a grocery store, restaurant. No, generally not. Well, in fairness, are there other places being rented in the community that rent for five hundred dollars a month? Not as many as there used to be, and but I think that's. A I good just asked the question: Are there? Again, I don't know. I, well, I you knew about the twenty-five hundred, so I'm just. I do. That is one anecdote I'm aware of. I'm not specifically aware of any $500 a month apartments in Midland that aren't in a subsidized uh, or affordable housing complex such as this. Okay, any other questions from council for Mr. K? Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, are there any comments from public as it relates to this? If so, you need to come up to the microphone. I don't have a mat to tell you to stand on, but you need to stand in front of the microphone. You need to address council, and it's relevant only to this particular topic. Yep. And please Doug state Lewis. your name and address. Doug Luce, I'm at 3409 Pine Grove Drive, Midland, Michigan. Um, I've got a presentation that's pulled up there, and I got paper copies for some of the members here. <coughs> I will say that the last time I was here, I was responding uh, after about 24 hours. Thank you. Reviewing this, and uh, I since spent a few weeks reviewing some rather strange data. Um, and I'm a data guy, so a number of the comments I know you'll see on here. There's there's lots of places in Midland that rent for five to eight hundred dollars a month. Um, but in general, I just went through, as after I left the last meeting, I, I was, the data was bugging the daylights out of me. And so I went back, tore apart the pieces and parts to this proposal. I think the idea that we need housing is waning. We need it, but we don't need it like we did in 2018. The, the most current Data says Michigan is reducing its population at the eighth fastest rate of all states in, in the country. So there's more people leaving than they're coming by a long shot. So our population isn't growing as fast as it was in 2018. Since 2018, there's been at least four or five major developments built uh, at the in the $2,000 range is the red, um, red brown, red, redwood was developed. There's also now uh, Osmond is coming online. There's lots of places coming online right now that built through this apparent impossible stretch of time. So I'd like to, I guess, get through some of the data that I did crunch through. Um, in general, it seems that this is, is a complete repeat, which I understand. If you're not going to get it passed the first time, don't spend a lot of effort on it to change or modify it to meet the actual need within the town. Um, I think the needs have changed. Um, there, there is a definite definition of low to moderate income, and MISTA defines it as 30%, period. So we're going to develop low to moderate income. The pilot specifically says this is for the purpose of low to moderate income. The ordinances on all of them say the same thing. So by definition, 
we are looking at a proposal for low to moderate income, but it has all these other little caveats on the side, which includes some indication that we want workforce, I guess, workforce housing to some degree. I don't know exactly what that's supposed to mean, but we'll look at that down the road in the, in the presentation. Um, the original tax estimate versus reality. I've been crunching the numbers 14 ways from Tuesday, and I can't come up with the numbers that were, that were presented so far. So we'll look at what I was looking at, look at where I got the numbers from. Um, the actual pilot payment <clears throat> options are radically stratified. There's nothing that says they cannot rent a 30% apartment to someone who's making $200,000, nothing. It just says that they have to pay the full tax rate which on apartments typically is driven by annual revenue. So the idea that we built a $55 million project, which seems strange because that's like $350 a square foot, but we're gonna tax it according to the, what, the way we normally tax and assess, you would normally look at income. So we're gonna look at that as well. Um, and then the actual tax, what it would be without the pilot at all, which is not 704,000. It's not, there's no way anybody would ever get through the tribunal and make it to a point where they would justify paying, charging 704,000 for this development. So, um, the next screen. The type of workers that we're talking about are teachers. This came right off the presentation. So I didn't make it up. I didn't, I, I'm looking at teachers, teachers age, nursing assistants. There's the whole, the whole list, engineers, Possible, um, engineers typically are making 100,000 plus and they typically have a spouse or a girlfriend or a friend or whatever. So their household income on 60% of these aren't gonna be under the, even the 50% mark. But I had my daughter pull 50 applications in the last three days from 50 different businesses around town that had jobs available. How did she do that? Pardon? How did she do that? Picked up the phone. Hmm. Yep. She picked up the phone and she called everybody she could find it. She went out to Indeed, found the jobs, made a call to HR, did whatever she needed to do to find those. 75% of the applications say right on the application, do you have a valid driver's license? So that has an implication, right? 50% said, do you have reliable transportation? So you, you know where I'm getting with this. This doesn't make a lot of sense that we're going to, Pretend we're building workforce housing, but we don't have parking for even 75% of the actual houses. In my, in my subdivision, it's 2.25 cars per household. All of, my, all of my units rent between 1,400 and 1,800 a month. So we're talking about these people, and they're running 2.25 cars per household. So I don't believe we're gonna overcome that problem. The real problem, with this overall plan, at the end of the day, isn't the money. They need the financing. That's why we're talking about the pilot, and that's it. It's not about low-income housing, not about moderate housing. It's about how do you build houses for people to work and live. And even I went through the map in the presentation. Almost all of these jobs are outside of the one-mile, one-direction path. So the hospital's 3.2 miles in one direction. Dow's 1.6 miles in one direction. The firehouse is, who knows, that's, that's over two miles, two and a half miles. Walmart is 3.6 miles. 
You're talking about walking three miles in one direction last week to go to work. That ain't going to happen. There's just not going to happen. And we don't have the public transportation. I see that on Facebook all the time. We don't have taxis. We don't have Ubers. We don't have anything. So how are we going to move these people around? So that's the fundamental real problem that's going on from an overall um, operational perspective. So go on to the, on to the next slide. So these are the incomes that we're talking about. $86,000, we're going to subsidize the houses for $86,000 in income. That seems strange to me. I don't think it's unnecessary. I don't think that, I think it's possible and that we can do it in a way that doesn't, you know, burden the, the city in the end. Because, you know, while people talk about, yeah, we're not collecting $700,000 in rent or in taxes right now, we don't have 500 people consuming resources either. And you know what happens in the, I live three blocks. I listen to the, to the policemen and the fire department just pile into woodland estates and, and over other high-density situations. You get a, an abnormally high number of responses from the police, from the fire departments, and all that. Not to mention the water, the sewer. I mean, my water bill has gone up almost double in the last couple of years. So this water bill is going to go up. 200 people is quite a few when we only have 42,000 in the city. And we've already increased the, 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 the housing by, this, including this would be 400 of these pilot programs, but then you have to start including all of the other houses that Cobblestone and, and, and the, you know, the, the Great Lakes Bay is working on, and, and, and uh, oh, Redwood and those, those, those areas. So I think at the end of the day though, the only group that qualifies for this pilot, according to your own ordinance, you wrote the ordinance. That's what's baffling. I'm looking at this ordinance and thinking, there's no benefit to these guys. The only benefit is that they get the finances. They're not going to pay $97,000. They're just not. It's not possible because 70% of the, of the residents don't qualify for your ordinance. They just don't. Now, maybe the ordinance is wrong. Maybe somebody didn't do their homework. But at the end of the day, the ordinance clearly states that any unit that's rented to anyone, any household income that's more than 30%, must pay the full taxable amount in the PMI. So if you go on to the next slide. Right now, the, how, the buildings that are out there, I did this quick survey. It took me about two or three days getting a hold of a few people. Osmond Townhouses, there's 60 units. They rent between $1,100 and $2,000, right in this ballpark. <clears throat> Redwood was built and finished in 18. Now, Osmond just finished. I don't even know if they're finished. They're still building. So Redwood finished in 18. They were between $1,500 and $2,700. <clears throat> they're at 9% vacancy right now. Village West, which is mine, I'll admit it, is between 1750 and 1950. It sits at 9% vacancy. And I advertise everywhere. So I can tell you, it's not nearly as tight as it was two years ago. Um, Heron Point, 53 units. They rent between 800 and 1500. They're at 6% vacancy. Mulberry Lane, 264 units. They're $900 to $1,300. They're at 4% vacancy. Brooks Estates. Brooks is an interesting one because they have a great relationship with Dow. Dow rents a huge number of their apartments that sit vacant. 
I personally do the maintenance on some of them. So I can tell you for sure they're there right now. I store equipment there. I store tools there. They're empty. There's nobody living in them. Dow wants to make sure, so they're in here supporting this. At the same time, they're consuming unnecessarily those units. And they're not just Brooks Estates. They're all over the place. They're over on Colorado Street. They're over on Swede. They're all over. There's even a couple in Freeland. They consume them year-round so that they can ensure that their interns have places to live. They consume one of my places for a whole year. They paid me $30,000 to have an apartment sit there empty. So the, idea, the story's not 100% true that we're needing all these places. That's the only point there. I'm not shooting down Dow for making a business decision because I worked there for 30 years and I did the same thing. I wanted to make sure my guy had a place. I go rent a place that paid for the whole year. But I sure as heck would never walk in here and say, we're short, we need more apartments when I'm the guy consuming them and they sit vacant. So, on to the next slide. This is a, an eye chart. The, the key points here, <clears throat> I'm going to start through our, I took the data directly out of the presentation. The first, let the left columns are directly out of the presentation. The column that says collected rent, that is the rent that they expect to collect for those number of units. The annual income. The next column is the one where we need to contend that this is going to affect the local rental market. And that's in the dollars per square foot that these are renting at. But I'll get to the next, the, pilot, the planned pilot. So the planned pilot, no matter how I slice it and dice it, comes up to $107,178. That's using the assessor's data. The assessor's has had multiple appeals at the tax tribunal. I pulled down all of the tax tribunal records for all of the appeals, found some data that was consistent, found much more that was inconsistent, but I used some of her information which included the cap rate, the vacancy rate, and the interesting one is the expenses. So the first thing we'll talk about is the pilot as it is right now. If every single one of the units was to rent to someone under 30% AMI, the payment would be $107. If we charge them the amount that we have agreed to, which is somewhere in the taxable value number on the far right-hand side is the annual payment that will be due. And that's $400,281, I believe. So that's the pilot payment. It's not 97,000, according to our current proposal, meaning the city, our meaning I'm part of the city of Midland. So right now we have an ordinance on the table, the, the ordinance followed by the Michigan law comes up with this number. So that's in, in itself, I don't know if it's actually 100% right on, plus or minus a percent, but it's not off by 10%. It's only off by a little bit. Um, the other key problem- I can interrupt you for one second. That 400,000 number is based upon only the- 30 only 40% or less units. I used it. I included the 40%. I was okay. generous, and I include everything that's in the dollars per square foot column, everything that's in white, or with an X next to it, where it says pilot allowed, mm -hmm. anything with an X, 
was allowed to have the reduced payment, and then the rest of them were at full taxable value. And the okay. full taxable value is calculated off income, which is typically done for apartment complexes. So I just want to make sure I understood the differences that you're saying it based upon your understanding of what would qualify for a pilot, you're just going to have these few units, everything else will be ad valorem. Correct. The, well, at that, at that of, level, it wouldn't be ad valorem. At that point, it would be a pilot payment. Yes. But okay. the dollars per square foot in lies the real problem. So I've talked with multiple people about this, and I, kids, I don't understand. I can't even fathom how we got here. Right now, according to testimony that's been given by the assessor on multiple cases, numbers that are used are in the 95 cents to $1.35, $1.40. I mean, I couldn't even find an apartment that, that was normal rented apartment, meaning no extra special things. Couldn't find one that was over $2 a square foot. That's what's going to happen. We're at $2.29 a square foot, $2.07, $1.75. Those numbers will be used by the assessor to compare to all of the local apartments at dollars per square foot because that is the only way they do it. These are not affordable houses. These are the most expensive apartments in the city of Midland right now. They're more than the brand new Perry Creek. They're more than the, than the Osmond complex. They're more than the Redwood complex. They're literally two and a half times what mine are renting for. And I have five sitting vacant and I can't get them rented. So this, the numbers aren't right. There's something in here that's just not right. And that's where I kept digging and digging. I got down to the bottom, you'll see 124 of the units are 50% above the market rate right now at $1.80 a square foot. And if you include all of them at $1.44 a square foot, that is literally the single highest rate in the city of Midland that I can find anywhere. Now, I may not be able to find them all, but I dug through. I was on, on the GSI for two weeks, digging around trying to find what you can do. Where, where is it that you can find something that's this expensive? And we're funding it. So we're gonna fund the most expensive place in the town. And that comes with Redwood and Osmond just getting complete. That's what's even weirder. <laughs> so, okay, go on to the next one. So the River Caddis cash flow. The red one in the middle, and I'll apologize on your presentation that I gave you in paper, did not show up. So on here, there's two dockets that are listed. The city assessor testimony for docket number 1152TT and 002130. In her testimony, in multiple places, she's testified that 18.75 was not only acceptable according to the national data, the state data, she also confirmed it with multiple local landlords that 18.75 was acceptable. Do I think that's correct? Hell no, I don't think it's correct. I think it's off, but it's not 41%. If I would say that in, in most of the most of the cases of the people I talk to, they're, they're in the 20 to 25% range. In one case, she literally swore that 10.5% was the case. That's what he should be charged, should be expected to spend in, in expenses. So how is it that we have 10.5, 18.75 in testimony, and the same, and she actually did this assessment and allowed 41.4% to pass on through. So 
The devil's in the details. The debt service, I heard some new numbers tonight that seemed um, more in line with what I was expecting, but when I looked at what she actually came up with for an estimate, if you reverse calculate, it comes up to a $25 million project. A $25 million project will generate the debt service of $1.4 million. So the $50 million differences, I'm not sure where the, where the money's coming from or where it's going, but in today's dollars, I called the bank today, they'll give me a loan today to do this project for $25 million. Probably won't give me 50, but it'll be at 6%. And at 5%, that debt service is 1.4 million. So that kind of makes sense, um, although it is pretty high. It's suspicious that somebody is, is building something with no investment at all, like not even a dollar. Um, the folks in here, John Bartos, myself, the folks that have been around building in this town for decades always invest. I invested 20% before I even thought about going out. Apparently, this isn't the case for these type of developments. But at the end of the day, using the city assessor's documented testimony, I came up with current data that says that the tax bill would have been around 616000 If you use the testimony from the other docket, the tax bill is around 482000 So where do we get to seven hundred four? is kind of funny. I'm not exactly sure where. But one thing that is rather strange is if you flip back, can you go backwards one screen? So if you look at that big yellow number at the bottom that says $2.68 million, that's their total, total income for the year on, on, uh, for um, rental income. Flip back to the other page, the next one. You look at the very first column, their own data says 2.76. That's about $70,000 difference so why would we be offering up a funding for a project that's got a negative cash flow right from day one using their own data? The reason we're here is because they wanted a positive cash flow. The pilot provided that. With the 4% pilot, they're minus 21,000. Using their own numbers, again, it's not estimating or me pulling numbers out of the sky, it's their own numbers. So, that in there lies the stranger part, is how, how are we running with 41% expenses and why is their presentation actually off by that much? I mean, that's a lie. Being off by 90,000 on an, and it is an estimate, I'll give it that, but, the, but if you look at their income, it's still minus 21,000, so onto the next page. So just a few ones, I'm gonna wrap this up quick. So based on the ordinance, the requirements, Everything in the data and everything that's presented and everything that's written down as law, the pilot is actually 400,000, um, which now doesn't seem like it's a big deal. I mean, you're talking about the difference between a, a full-on tax of 616, we're at 400,000. So I'm gonna start to head down the path of if all of this stuff is 100% true, it's hard to argue, but there's something wrong because the assessor did not include the planned rental income that I was looking at. I, used, I looked at the actual rental income that they presented based on their actual numbers and came up with 107,000. That's a 10% error. We don't need to be spending $30 million on 10% errors in my book. Um, the assessor appears to have used project cost, which I had assumed, but I didn't know the project cost, so I'll throw that right out the window. It wasn't the project cost, so it had to be some other number that came up with 
the 700,000. So I'll back down from that one completely. Don't know what caused the 700,000, but it was not the project cost. It's not the income. So it could be sales. Um, I don't think we have any sales in, Mid in Midland over 25 million on properties. Pi uh, uh, Parent Point just sold for 6.6 .6 million and it's got 53 units in it. So I'm not sure where that number came from. But at the end of the day, two of the current tribunal cases show 10.5 10 and 8.75. Why are we looking at 41%? Next slide. So here's the actual written testimony. It was pulled directly out of the dockets from, from the, uh, just so you understand, it wasn't something made up. I pulled it right out of the docket, right out of the testimony for the cases. 18.75, and it was confirmed by multiple local landlords. Next page. This one was the second one where they pulled it out, 10.5%, One weird thing is that the cap rate is all over the map. I, I found three different cap rates. I only pulled these two out. One is 13.8, another one is 9.8. The reason that's important is you take your total income, you divide by the cap rate, and that's your value that you get taxed on. So that's how we're going to set the basis for the individual condo or apartments. So we got to nail that down. It's got to be real and it's got to be solid because you're going to be charging them if they're going to be putting in 50%, 60%, 80%, 100% AMIs, people in those. So anyhow, on to the next one. The annual service charge for the subdivision, this is actually the law. So this is the, this is the, 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 the sideways one. At some point, the county will be involved. And they have 100% legitimate right to say, we want the county funds paid in full. They have 45 days from the time this is certified. You have two days to certify and deliver it to the county they have 45 days with which they can come back and they don't even communicate to the city, they communicate directly to the property owner, their intent to collect the full county portion of the millage. That hasn't been happening. And it's not because they decided not to collect, it's because they didn't even know. Now they know. So that's going to, maybe that'll just go right through and every, all the I's will get dotted, T's will get crossed, everything will get taken care of, but it's going to happen. They have to be involved. River Caddis should be starting with them. Traverse City has discovered the mistake and they are spending an enormous amount of time writing policies where the county is in 100% control of the policy of what the limits are for the pilots the city can implement the pilot after the county approves it. So it's completely bass backwards, but it's so that they don't run into problems. So the county in Traverse City right now is establishing no unit in any case can be rented to a seasonal worker. No one over 100% will be allowed to live in any one of the pilot under any circumstances. It's not even if. And there's also another 20 or 30 other things that they're throwing into it, but the county's writing the policy. And then the city is going to help implement it and approve it, and then they have to go back to the city and get approval. So this part of the law has been missed. I was floored when I saw that. I couldn't believe that the commissioners weren't involved at all. We're throwing away, we're giving, I'm sorry, I do not want to make it sound like we're throwing away. We're giving away the funds to support this 
without even asking. And I'm not sure how Delta College falls into this. I'm not sure how the other ones fall into it, but it would be nice to know. Are we just taking it all and then divvying it up? Or are we having a conversation? So the conversation needs to occur, for sure, at some level. And I guarantee you now, it will, because it's already started. Now, they may come back and just say, yep, Doug Loose blew a bunch of smoke, and we don't care what he says. We'll go ahead and sign off, or we'll do nothing. So nothing is easy. If they do nothing, then nothing happens. But if you never certify, they can come back in 10 years and take that all that fun back. So if it's not certified, I don't know what that means, but I hope somebody here will figure that out. Um, at the end of the day, I think the county needs a lot more in play in, into this process. And the next one. And that's just kind of a, a summary of the rest of the final financial questions. So, you know, the, the odd, one other odd weird thing, and maybe somebody here could answer that, how come the price of this land is like double and triple with all the sales that have been in the last three years? Is it just because they were offered that much or because they set the price? Because I can't find a sale even close for that kind of land. I look at Lincoln Park, that's 379. <clears throat> I looked at two or three other places that were in the 200, 300 range. I talked to John Bartos, who's been selling land to all these developers, and he's not getting even close to that. So it seems that either the number was to help benefit the school system, which is great and honorable, but it seems high. That's all I'll say. I think that's about it. Okay. There's a few Don't other eyeball things. You, what number are you talking about when you say this? The $650,000 purchase agreement. Okay. That's, it just seems high. I don't know why. It just seems high. Um, not that a good, you know, somebody with good finances and everything else. It just seemed like it for the for the number of acres. I mean, I got 26 acres that's being that's being um, listed at at land value of 110,000. I've got other properties that have sold for 260, 270, 290. It doesn't. It seems like 650 is just like like a little bit extra, which is fine. But like I said, to the to the folks who are out there that have apartments, 229 a square foot, I guarantee you in five years from now, the docket at the tax tribunal will be through the roof. Because right now, the basis of all apartments is the income per, or the, the charge per square foot. There's nothing in Midland close. And it seems that this 229 a square foot is, is through the roof. I mean, that's like Riverside type numbers. You know, that's, that's way up there. And, and because apartments are not judged or assessed based on the individual compartment, it's based on the square footage. Those will get used against all of the local neighbors on their assessments. Will that affect them? Probably not. But guess who it will affect? The renters. The people who rent those places, as soon as that place changes hands, the assessment goes up. It meets numbers like this. You're talking about a 50 to 100% increase in rent in the next three to five years once these places get built. So maybe that'll happen naturally, but there's something that's, you know, the, the cost there is substantial. And I can tell you that the 370 or 350 or 375 a square foot to build these does seem a little bit on the Seems quiet. Thank you. Okay. Hopefully I spoke for a number of people because I know a number of people that I've talked to here. <laughs> yep. 
Very good, thank you. Oops. Are there any other comments from the public? Hi, my name is Tim Giblin, 401 East Ashman. Hey, um, you know, the fact that we don't have anyone that actually knows how a light, uh, you know, the federal funding thing really bothers me, and I still can't find numbers on it, and everyone's saying, you find out after. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm just wondering if the city ever called any commercial mortgage brokers about it and go, hey, there are numbers about this. We have a ton of people in Midland. I called two of them. They didn't know. But there are people that know these numbers. And I think before the next meeting, y'all should be calling people that, you know, there are people that work in D.C. that come back and forth with Dow that do this stuff for a living that I don't know any of them that still do it. All the ones I know are retired. But there are still people bounce back and forth from Midland to DC that do know how to do that stuff and know what the actual numbers would result to roughly in a commercial loan. And I think y'all should be aware of that before the next meeting. And I think you should look into it. Right now, I am not gonna mention any nonprofits names because they asked me not to. Probably says a lot too, but we, I've been hearing from a lot of people, I've talked to a couple of people on the council now, and people are saying how walkable Midland is. And Doug just pointed out how unwalkable that neighborhood is. I don't hire that many people. I'll be honest, I'm a contractor. Sometimes I end up having nine people working for me. Sometimes I end up having four. I've been hiring people out of multiple nonprofits that are borderline homeless. And you know who, what the biggest problem with me hiring them is? They don't have cars. I'm going around to multiple, when I have a bigger job and I'm vetting new people, so I'll hire like eight or nine people in a shot. And, you know, contracting construction is not right for everyone. So at the end of the day, I keep one or two of them at the end of three weeks. That's just how it goes. When I start, I'm doing two trips to pick up people in my truck. I'm up at seven in the morning picking up four people, piling them into my truck. Sometimes, depending on what's going on with my family, my kid's in the car seat in the middle, and I got these guys jumping into the front seat, and that's how I have to get people to work. We have the people that, like, especially, like the guys I interact with and I've tried to hire, and some one of them I am planning on hiring in April from, like, Pivot Point, if you don't know what that is, it's awesome, you should check it out, that they don't have housing and they don't have cars, and to the people, and helping them get places, they view those as equal uh, challenges to being successful in Midland. I don't know what they're going to do. I can't say what they're going to do, but every large scale development I've ever been around, when they build them, the people, first of all, they get Section 8 housing credits, so they still get their money. So you're giving them a tax break and they still get their money. The people on Section 8 don't get parking spots. You are going to give someone a very tiny place without parking in the most, probably the most unwalkable part of the city. There aren't that many jobs there. Getting a job in Midland every day, and if you guys are on Facebook on Ask Midland, you should be, because you learn a lot about the city there. There are people four to five days a week saying, I have a job opportunity, I have a job interview, and I can't make. I mean, how many, I assume you've all seen those. It's every week. And people can't get dial-a-ride. You have to schedule dial-a-ride in advance. 
even going back to when I was in high school, if you missed your dial-a-ride bus one time because your kid is sick, they'd cancel you for the next two weeks. And I'm not saying dial-a-ride should, because the way dial-a-ride works, if they don't, they would, they would implode. But dial-a-ride is not a systematic bus system like New York City. It's not. And everyone's got this idea that Mill and Super walkable. You know what, if you get a two-unit apartment and two people in their drive, you can make the argument that you only need one car for two people. You can even make the argument that if you had three people in an apartment, you'd only need one car for the three of them. But they aren't going to be able to get groceries at a reasonable price if they can't get to Aldi, Meyer, or Walmart. Have you been to Kroger lately? Have you compared prices of Aldi to Kroger? You're talking over 35% difference. People have to be able to get to Aldi. People have to be able to get to Meyer. And I know back in the 80s, everyone hated Walmart, but you know what? It provided an avenue for the people we're talking about to get groceries that they can afford. You can't get to Walmart. You can't get to any of these places. This city might be casually walkable, but it is not walkable for jobs and is not walkable for that one time a week when you have to go to gro get groceries. And I think the fact that we're, pur we're purporting that it is is laughable. And yeah, is it way more walkable than when I went to high school? Absolutely. It's a lot nicer. But last week wasn't walkable at all. I mean, did y'all walk around? Did anyone in this room walk around last week for more than a mile in Midland? There's a guy that walks past my current project every day with his walker, and now he hasn't been out in a week because he can't walk. I mean, I'm out there chipping snow off because the contractors driving over my driveway are putting ice on my sidewalks. The neighbors aren't. They can't do it. You can't make Midland walkable overnight. I'm not saying you shouldn't aspire to and try to be, make it more walkable because it's very important that it is. And a lot of those housing projects up by the soccer fields and stuff are way more walkable than this place. And those people still have cars, a car per unit. So I think you guys really need to think about, with your vote, you are incentivizing construction. That's fundamentally what you're doing. Because quite frankly, you look at the numbers and you look at them really, and you look at some of the numbers that I've seen from Doug Luce, and they can make this project work without it. But they don't want to. But more importantly, you as a board need to start thinking about how you're setting this town up with your parameters and say, what are we actually, how are we actually going to help people? Because if you give someone the smallest place they can live with the least access to anything and without a car, you're creating a poverty cycle. Fundamentally, you are creating a poverty cycle that the way Midland is laid out, people in general will be incapable of getting out of. So I think if you're going to vote and use the city's funds and more so in this case, more than funds, the city's leverage to get other people money, you should be doing it for things that actually will help people. In creating housing that has poverty cycle people in it, you're not gonna get the engineers, you're not gonna get the teachers, you're not gonna get any of those people living in that complex unless they chase them all out. Because that will become, you're not gonna want people living, well, first of all, apartment buildings and teachers are kind of a questionable concept to begin with, Midland, Mid and Northern Michigan doesn't really accommodate that type of a mentality. 
So that's a questionable concept of putting teachers in apartment buildings. But when you create something where people are going to be in those buildings, and once they're in, they won't, be, they won't leave voluntarily, and they can't get jobs, you're going to create an environment in that neighborhood that's ultimately a negative. And we can do better as a city. We can make, do better accounting for the fact that we aren't walkable and we can accommodate other people's ways of doing things. But you can also do a lot better as there's a lot better ways to project and make people's lives better than creating something where people can't get out. So that's what I have to say. And oh, one more thing. Half the numbers say this place is over 300,000 or 300 bucks a square foot. That's crazy. We are in a 200 units is a lot of people. I have not seen a single you know, thing that anyone brags about the environmental effects of this complex. If you're gonna build something that's 204 units. It's not about how much money it's gonna bring in. It's going to be, it's how much infrastructure it's going to suck in. And that's water, that's energy, that's gas, that's everything. So the fact that the bigger the complex is, that we're not talking about the environmental stuff, you're not saying this is gonna be a super energy efficient, super everything, granted this come from a, I do a lot of energy efficiency stuff. But the bigger something is, the more important to the town for the long-term survivability of our infrastructure, it is to be environmentally friendly. And the number one way to be environmentally friendly isn't buying credits from some recycling plant, it's lowering consumption. I have not heard a single thing from anyone anywhere about anything about this complex, about how this is going to be a, a board, above board, beyond normal, typical construction. I think if we're gonna start incentivizing something, first of all, you're gonna claim it's for the poor people, you should make it so they can get jobs. But also, if you're gonna incentivize something, shouldn't you be incentivizing something that is commendable in its construction method and beneficial to the environment for the, the drag on our infrastructure. And I haven't seen anything about this place that says it is. So from my point of view, which is those two things, I don't see a single reason that the city should incentivize it beyond a bunch of dollar signs getting spent in the city of Midland. That's the only benefit I've heard anyone say. And I think you guys should really say no because you're creating a precedent of that's all that matters and we can do better. And the city council can create parameters for buildings to make it better for the city. You know, the bigger it is, the more environmentally friendly it should be. And the bigger it is, the more subsidized housing units should be created. And the bigger it is, the more accessible it should be for the people living there to get out and about in town. And we're kind of doing the opposite on all three. That's all I have. Thank you. Are there any other comments from the public? Good evening, council members. Uh, my name is Jennifer Acosta. I live at 2041 East Mockingbird Lane here in Midland. Um, and I wanted to take a moment. Uh, I did not plan on speaking this evening, um, but I am a housing professional in this community. Um, I am contracted with Housing Forward through the Midland Business Alliance, and we are focused on attainable housing and the economic development and the workforce impacts of attainable housing within this community. 
Um, I also serve on the housing stock committee for the regional strategy for MISHDA. So region G, our strategy, I serve on the housing stock committee. And uh, so far this evening, you know, we've heard a, a good amount of information from public. Um, and some of that I, I feel is based in fear, right? What do we do about parking? We trust our zoning officials and our planning body and the rules and regulations that they have. Uh, we trust MISHTA and state regulators in the formulas and, and the elements that they pull together. Um, and you know, there's a, a lot of oversight for developments like this. I, I can tell you that in best practice, building diverse housing that has multiple income streams that isn't homogenous, right? It's not cookie cutter, copy paste, where you all have the same exact job and you show up every day. We want diverse and healthy and inclusive neighborhoods. Um, so I wanted to share a couple of facts um, based on the data that I see every day. Um, so first and foremost, this is for um, from the regional housing strategy group. So this is all available through MISHTA. Um, and this is just for Midland County on Specifically, Midland County is broken up into several different regions, and one of them is called Midland Central. So that really just focuses on um, the city of Midland, because there's also Midland South, Midland North, and then there's another area for Coleman. So within that area, um, for homes built post-1990, it only re represents 11% of our market within city of Midland. So we talk about where product is or what it's been renting for, we have to understand that we don't have any new product, newer apartments and things like that, which is important when we think about rental rates and construction costs. Um, I'd also like to highlight that within this market report, we are ranked as being a low strength and high need community for Midland. So we are low strength of being able to get more housing supply because of our market dynamics, and we are a high need community in terms of housing. Um, in addition, I was in the statewide data portal and the Housing Forward Leadership Committee really said, you know, if we were to compare ourselves to another community in the state, I think Holland is, is really the right fit and in, in akin to Midland in many ways. And with that, I was comparing a few different pieces. And sure enough, median income, very similar. Population, similar, a little different. Um, lots of correlation there. The median rents in city of Midland five years ago were $754. The median rents now, five years later, for city of Midland are $1,477. We've nearly doubled in five years for the city of Midland. Um, Midland County went from 746 and it went up to 1510. Again, you know, doubling. Um, in Holland, where they've added more housing over this five year period, they went up 30%, which is still considerable. We're seeing a housing shortage everywhere, but they didn't double, right? 30% compared to doubling is, is quite a difference. In addition, within this data, um, for the units built, per 1,000 jobs created in the most recent year. So I'll say that again, units built per 1,000 jobs created for the most recent year, Midland measured negative 2,866. 
Maybe you better uh, say that, that one, one more time. time. Yes. For the units built per 1,000 jobs created in the most recent year, Midland measures negative 2,866. Um, so, I mean, and I am happy to, to share this data, to, to send this link. This went, um, I actually put together a memo that went out to the Leadership Committee for Housing Forward. Happy to have, you know, our committee chairs or anyone share this. Um, and happy to give you the sources on this data as well. I know that, you know, public service and the amount of work that you guys do and really looking at all the facts and looking at all these elements, um, it does not fall, you know, on deaf ears when it comes to me. It's, it's a big uh, job that you guys do and I know that this is a first read and you're looking at a second read and pulling all the, the pieces together but I really wanted to know that from a housing stock from a need from an economic development from a jobs perspective we have a need in Midland um, I, I know tax incentives are kind of a necessary evil when it comes to development. Um, it's something that, that is often required when you're looking for state dollars, that the state is going to say, unless you really represent that you need housing and housing's represented in your master plan, and if you're asking for government money, is the local government behind this in some way? Um, and there's a variety of different tools. Um, what I'm seeing and, you know, in the discussions and in the analysis that I've looked at, the, the scenario that we're looking at for this site, for this property, it's a great development. Um, I think it's something the community could be really proud of. I myself have lived here for, you know, the last 10 years in Midland and first coming in, I, you know, you always worry, will we be accepted in this community? How will this go? And a lot of what I've heard tonight seems to be a fear of people, a fear of new people, a fear of growth and a fear of change, um, a fear of additional infrastructure and burden and cars and things like that. Um, but looking at, you know, the fact that I think we want to grow, um, I've been on Michigan Municipal League Foundation Board and we we help fund as a fiduciary for the Growing Michigan Together Council. So call me progressive, call me inclusive. Um, but you know, I, I would hope that, that this community is willing to welcome more people um, that our companies need and our workforce needs and our job growth needs. So thank you. Jennifer, before you go, did you say you were gonna send that? I mean, you threw out a lot of facts and figures and I think we can each pick out different things we might want to use in our inter in interpretation. Can you send that to the members or have it sent to the members of city council? Absolutely, I and can send it right away. to answer questions regarding the data and where it came from? Yeah, no problem. I'll send the links that it came from as well. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. All right, are there any other comments from the public? <clears throat> My name is Pamela Gandy and I live at 2305 Wilder Road in Midland. Um, I think the gentleman that spoke before me uh, took a lot of uh, wind out of my sail. I think they said they had a lot of thoughts that I have to uh, totally concur with and agree with. So I got a ditto on that one. I think when we look at what we're going to do with this property, I understand we're getting zero for it now. But is the pilot the right number? And when I looked at today's agenda and I looked at a million dollars in unfunded retirement liabilities and other unfunded plans, I'm thinking whatever we do with that property, 
and whatever we do with any other property, we need to make sure we get the most out of it so that we can take care of the bills that we have yet to pay for. I think that's mainly what I wanted to say after these gentlemen said what they said. I'm uh, Kathy Bott, 310 Princeton Court. And I guess I'd just like to remind the council that this got voted down five to zero at the last meeting. And here we are again. I was at three of the last meetings on the River Caddis. The first one was the housing. He was asked directly, can this project be done for anything less than the 45 years, 4%? Absolutely can't happen, no sir. Two council meetings. He stood up here and said the same thing again. And here we are 30 days later. And oh, we can do it. And now we're going to consider it again. And it's like, what has changed in the last 30 days other than the length of time that we're going to give another pilot out? I think these pilots need to be visited. And like Doug said, 40% of this money is the counties that's going to. And nobody is even, it's like, no big deal. It's like we're going to get 12, our 12% of the 97. And it's like there's so many holes in the numbers. There are so many issues with this as far as parking, everything else. And it's like five to nothing. It went through. And we're back here again because we reduced it 15 years. What, what's changed other than the 15 years? There's still the same problems with this development and the problems with giving away our tax money. So that's pretty much what I wanted to say. Okay, the gentleman in the back, I believe you stood up. I don't, are you done? Do you want to comment? Anyone else from the public? Good evening, Nicole Wilson. I'm at 18 Lexington Court. Um, good evening, Honorable Mayor and members of City Council. In my role as Vice President of Economic Development with the Midland Business Alliance, I'm honored to express our support for the pilot request before you this evening. The dire need for workforce housing is a consistent message. We've heard across the spectrum of our businesses throughout the community, from our, our largest to our smallest employers. This concern prompted the MBA to create the Housing Forward Initiative, made possible through the support of the Charles J. Strosacker Foundation and the Midland Area Community Foundation. Our Housing Forward Leadership Council wholeheartedly supports this request as it aligns seamlessly with the needs identified in the 2018 housing study. Additionally, our Economic Development Strategy Council has recognized the lack of workforce housing as one of its top three priorities to overcome in, um, as it's become a critical, as the critical shortage <laughs> continues to be a significant barrier to our efforts in talent attraction. The 115 Eastland Drive proposal's outcomes are in perfect alignment with the Midland City Modern Master Plan, which states that the city of Midland must build new housing at the levels required to support current and future needs, to increase and diversify the supply of housing in the city, to support infill development, which 115 uh, Eastland would be, including high-density housing where infrastructure exists. And lastly, to provide a diversity of housing types and costs to meet the needs of all ages and income groups. The connectivity between the talent needs of our employers expressed in the letters of support and in-person comments that you have seen and heard both at, in front of all of you as well as at the Housing Commission um, represents a diverse range of industries 
who understand and have articulated the direct impact that this prospective housing development will have on their opportunities for growth. As you consider this request, I'd call attention to the support received from both ends of our business spectrum, from our corporate partners to our local entrepreneurs, equally calling for your support together. By supporting this project, you're not only adhering to the strategic vision that you've set forth in the master plan, but actively contribute to its realization, effectively moving housing forward. I urge each of you to be bold, to consider the long-term benefits and positive ripple effects that this necessary tax incentive and its resulting development will bring to our community. This initiative is more than just bricks and mortar. It is a step toward fostering inclusivity, supporting economic growth, and ensuring that Midland truly is a community where everyone thrives. As always, I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to share our support. Thank you. Great, thank you very much. Sir. My name is Chuck Sherwin. I live at 1504 West Sugnant Street here in Midland. Uh, I am the president of My Michigan Medical Center Midland. Um, uh, what we have heard tonight uh, is we need more housing. And uh, you have a difficult decision in front of you of how do you choose to fund uh, to get that housing here in the Midland area. It's one of the largest businesses uh, in the community. Uh, there's been much, multiple studies that have shown we need the additional housing. And each year, uh, we continue to grow. Last time I presented, uh, we hire hundreds and hundreds of people every year. Many of those work probably in that Alice population. Um, and we want to continue to grow. And communities that want to continue to grow have to have the housing available, uh, and it has to be affordable housing for people to move into. Uh, so I believe that the uh, development at the 15, uh, 115 East Lawn Drive uh, would be an appropriate place for us to have that uh, housing and uh, help our community grow. So thank you so much. Okay, thank you very much. Any other comments from the public? As a nonprofit, we struggle to find housing for the people that we can afford to hire to provide services for people in our communities and additional housing in the price ranges that this would allow for would be instrumental in us being able to move forward. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? All right, seeing none, pardon? Done. Sorry, I missed you. No, I didn't know if, uh, if you wanted me to come up after. Uh, thank you all for having me here, and thanks for everyone who came tonight and spoke. I really appreciate it. Um, could you pull up the presentation that I had? It's not going to take a lot of your, your time. Tonight, I'm, I'm here for questions. Um, hopefully, uh, all of you had a good holiday and 
I'm ready to jump right in this year. Um, perfect. Uh, so just want to go through some friendly reminders. This is a mixed income project. Um, we are focusing on a, a variety of different folks. Um, we've listened to stakeholders. We've, we've taken studies. Uh, we've talked to a ton of people. Uh, we've backed into this project uh, over the years and trying to provide um, the best possible project in the best possible location to serve the most amount of people. Um, how we got to some of the, the numbers over the, over the past year are our prices, our construction costs. We have those set by national uh, uh, affordable housing contractors that are based out of Michigan. They've done thousands and thousands of units. Um, they have the most up-to-date um, information, are able to work with uh, MISHTA-approved architects and designers to create the most efficient units to get these prices to a point where they're possible, um, they're efficient. Um, we take a lot of pride in not just what these look like, but how they function. Uh, these are people's homes. We care quite a bit about that. We take a lot of time and energy into making sure that these things feel and look great. Our operational costs, those are set by national underwriters that are in town, they are regional, they are Michigan-based. They work directly with management companies based around Michigan who have exact costs of what these units cost to operate all the way through. So these things are vetted all the way through. They are double-checked. In fact, uh, well, we won't get into that, but there are a lot of different folks that have eyes on our costs and our prices, and they are right within where they're supposed to be. They're right in line with today's standards. They're completely vetted. Our rents, those are set by the state, set by the county. I'm not setting those. Um, the proformas or the budgets that we have set, those are all vetted by MISHTA. They're all in line with what MISHTA needs to see. If they have questions, we revise. We work with everyone to make sure that those things are in line. Now, we've developed in seven different states a variety of different real estate assets. So we back into things that make sense. We're not using inflated numbers. We're using numbers from folks that make sense that are vetted. Uh, same thing with our designs. We try to design things that are complementary to areas, um, not uh, a cookie cutter from one place to the next. Uh, our, our market studies are national market studies. They're people that are trusted by MISHTA uh, throughout the state. So all of these numbers that we're using to develop and get to where we have gotten today are completely vetted all the way around the state. And if there's any question at all, we have to go back and show them where we got them from. Um, Talked a little bit about grants that, that have been allocated to this project. Those grants, the RAP 2.0 that you brought up, Mr. Arnosky, um, the even the, the tax credits that are awarded across the state, those are already allocated. Those aren't new. Those are, if they don't go to Midland, they go somewhere else. They, they're, as I said, I just want to make this clear. They, these are pre-allocated. The state has already allocated these funds. Now, if they do not go to this project, they will go somewhere else. Same thing with tax credits, all across the board. 
um, our role in this is and will be owners, uh, investors, managers, operators. We're in this for the long haul, just like our Midland East End project. Uh, and, and that's 11 years in. We're talking about what a MISHTA compliance period looks at 15 years. Well, you can look at our Midland East End building, which is at 11, 12 years right now, and it still looks great. It looks amazing. We're very happy with it. Functions fantastic. If there's anything ever wrong, fix it right away. <coughs> um, you've heard from a couple people tonight about demands um, from stakeholders. There's, I mean, o over, over the past six months, um, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of support from lawmakers, from businesses, from people uh, looking to create more housing in the area to help with their industry, to help with their um, company. Um, it's, it's not just businesses. I mean, this is a huge need. We've shown it over and over, not just from uh, the folks that, that come here to speak, but also that, that write letters. And we're very thankful for that. Um, and overall, I mean, when we look at this type of project, when we say that we're in it for the long haul and we show cash flows like 54,000, you know, we're trying to say that River Caddis Communities is a mission-based development company, right? This idea of, of mixed income housing in Midland is to support the need in Midland. We care about this community. That's why we came here. You know, if we're going to develop in Texas, we can still do that. We can still develop in Idaho, in Washington, in Florida. We can still choose to do that. We chose to come to Midland. We have an, a huge investment in, Dow, or in, in our East End project. And it, this place means a lot. When we had all these conversations about housing in Midland, everyone let us know how badly we needed it, how badly we needed it from a range of, of uh, incomes. And, and this, is our, this is our plan. You know, it's a tough, it's a complex project. Uh, and I'm hoping that, um, that you, you all see that that we're working hard, that we're trying to do something that, that we keep showing up even in the face of adversity um, in a tough project. So why this 4%? You know, um, Mr. Kane brought up a, a MISHTA Act of 1966, I believe, which entitles a, um, an approved uh, a project uh, through MISHTA uh, for a 10% pilot. So what we tried to show here is the difference in numbers of what a 10% pilot is and what a 4% pilot is. And you can see, instead of, I mean, there's been the discussion of a, the 2023 um, tax number of 700,000 um, in taxes per year. And we're using that as a baseline. Well, if this is a 4%, a 9%, or a 4% or a 9% hybrid low-income housing tax project, as defined by MISHTA, then it is entitled to a 10% pilot. So the baseline will not be 700,000. The baseline will be 247,428. The difference between a 10,000 or a 10% pilot 
and a 4% pilot is the difference between 247,000 and 97.712. Those I, are the baselines that we need to look at. Can I interrupt you for a second? Because I, I wanted to understand that statement that you said about being entitled to a, do you say 10% pilot? That under the LIHTC entitles you to, just if you could just go back and say that again one more time. Well, in fact, instead of me saying that, if either city attorney has, has reviewed the, the statute or, or city manager, if you guys don't mind chiming in so you're not just hearing me spot up a act from 1966, do either of you have a position on what the, um, what this act says? Well, I mean, I've got it in front of me here, so I'm just curious what, and I, I don't see the provision that you're talking about. So maybe just, maybe I didn't hear you correctly, so just repeat what you said. As I said, I'd rather have city attorney or city manager discuss that this, this project, what this could be entitled to, well, as it's stated up on the board, and as the letter written from the city. So there's a, a couple of different ways of looking at pilot. A developer can come to a local municipality, such as River Caddis is here, and ask for a percent service charge for a number of years. What Mr. McGraw is referring to under the MISHTA Act is that a developer can entitle themselves to a 10% pilot rate for up to 50 years, so long as it's for low-income housing. Low-income housing is defined as 80%, up to 80% AMI. So if the developer meets the criteria for MISHTA, then they are entitled under the law to the pilot rate at 10% and bypasses a local municipality. So, you know, questions could come up, well, could the percent rate be higher than 10%? Developers typically would not move forward with anything higher than 10% because it acts more or less in theory as a ceiling because they can entitle themselves to the 10%. The only exception to that rule is if the local municipality has an ordinance that prohibits pilots in general. Midland does not have an ordinance that prohibits pilots, so the developer is entitled to come before and ask for either a reduced percent rate or entitle themselves to the 10%. I mean, it's one of the very few opportunities that a local municipality can preempt state law because it's written in law that way that the local municipality does not have to participate in the, in the pilot program um, with that. The, when the rate is, is set by either local ordinance or a developer entitles themselves of the 10%, there's two different types of pilot funding that we've um, heard some reference to. There's low income housing, which is the proposal that's before council tonight there's also a new concept that was passed in the 2022 legislative year that the governor signed that deals with a concept known as workforce uh, housing. Workforce housing is up to 120% AMI. It does not deal with low income. It's looking to fill a need with workforce housing up to the 120% AMI. The developer is proposing to avail themselves for low income housing so the county does not get involved in those types of calculations with that. 
is specific only to workforce housing up to 100% um, AMI with that. Okay, so Chris, so, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that um, because what say so, do, how does the county fit into this at all? This proposal that is before us, is it something they can come back later and say we should have looked at or I just want accurate information? So, so in this particular uh, application for low-income housing, mm -hmm. city council approves the rate, and that's what the rate is for the period of the, the pilot Whatever term. The duration. It, it is, because this is for low-income housing. And so when the legislature updated the, the language of the statute back in 2022 and they added the workforce housing, that's when they added the referrals to county within 45 days, I believe Mr. Lewis referred to mm -hmm. um, uh, during his public comment on that. And pilot doesn't last forever. It'll only last for as long as the um, uh, federal authority-backed mortgage, the, the financing, is paid off or the term of years, whichever comes first. Um, so this proposal is 30 years, so if this were um, approved by council and the ordinance is adopted, it's 30 years or payoff, whichever occurs first with that. Uh, but once you, uh, if you were to approve it, once it's approved, that is the pilot for the remainder of the program. Okay. okay. And no interaction from the county on any of this? Correct. Okay. Well, hang on a second. Oh, so, but let me be clear on one thing. I mean, I think we're, we're getting into a discussion, aren't we? Well, I think, we're, asking I think we're asking for questions. I think we've got this explained, but this is not all low-income housing. This is mixed. You know, this is, we have some low-income housing. We have a variety of housing, but there's a percentage of it that's low-income. If it goes for that 10%, then that's got to be all low-income housing. That's not what this is. This, this housing looks more like a community looks. Some of it is at higher rate, some of it's at lower rate. And that's why we're, it's the 4% and not the 10%. If it was 10, then it would have to be a low low income. I don't think that's what anybody wants. I think we want housing that looks like a community. Am, but, I, am I misunderstanding that at all, Mr. Well, that's how we that, back that into That question this. might go to Chris as well. Just to clarify, the 10% applies to any of the 80% or lower AMI rents. So even in this case, because there's a mix, it would only apply to those units at 80% or low, but it still applies. It oh. does, it's, it's not exempt because there are units above 80%. Right. Anything above the low income up to 80% is ad, ad valorem um, rate. And that's whether it's the 10% entitlement or a reduced rate that um, is asked for from the local unit of government, such as here. Well, you know, my question kind of, it started all with LIHTC, which is a little bit different than pilot, because that's the housing, that's the credit you get from the state. And you, I think you Allocated said, credits from the state. I'm sorry? Allocated credits from the state. Yes. That's the four or nine percent in your proposal, correct? Correct. And so, I was trying to get back to what you said because I think you said if you apply for LIHTC, this credit, that you could dictate the pilot percentage, and that's the part I was missing. Um, and that and and council did not uh, did not really address that piece of it. I believe he did. So, so with, with the 10%, so this still has to go through um, MISHTA for approval, even at the 10% rate. And it has, there has to be the federal-backed 
financing through LIHTC to be able to, uh, that, that's the financing arm that is required for the developer to have in place before the full pilot is actually approved. So it starts at the, at the local level or the developer can avail themselves of the 10% um, under state law, but they still have to go through the MISHTA application and the LIHTC underwriting. But what we're being asked here is not for 10%, but 4%, which is two and a half times more favorable to the developer than the 10%. In other words, the lower the number, the more favorable, the more tax benefit to the developer, correct? I correct. would disagree. Yeah, so we're so trying to wait, provide. Wait, disagree. Go ahead. We're trying to provide housing. Because that's we're we're trying to provide housing. We're asked here. You're asking for four percent for thirty years. Okay. So what we're trying to determine is, is that something that we want to give to grant? And so we're we're mixing what you're asking us for with what is obligated or what you're entitled to under the law. So, no, I, I understand where where you're going, but what this is is there is no taxes on this site. We're trying to create housing in a very expensive market to provide homes for people to afford them, and that requires a less tax percentage. There's no taxes, Mr. Onoski. There's no money coming in. So what we're saying is we're asking for a reduction and the taxes we already pay, already pay, that we would pay if this development goes through. There's been this incorrect statement of what the city or citizens are funding. They are not funding this. They are not funding this, okay? This is a project that we are working together as a community to solve. That's why they allocate tax credits to help provide homes in a tough economy. And what you're saying is not accurate. Well, let, just, just walk me through this for a moment because <clears throat> when you came here a year ago, you were gonna build this development. That development, there was no mention of low income, workforce, any of that. You're gonna build a development, you got approval to go forward over a year ago now. If you did that, you would have paid some tax, some property tax. Okay, now <clears throat> fast forward to November, you said, no, no, we don't want to pay that amount of property tax. We want to pay a different amount. And that amount was going to be a calculation based on basically 4% of the low income units rents over the next 45 years. That was denied. You're here this evening because you said, well, okay, we can live with 30 years. So it'll be a 4% on the low income units we're gonna pay a tax of 4% of the rent, I'm simplifying it, but 4% of the rent for the next 30 years on those low-income units. We're still gonna to have to debate what low-income units are. We heard 30%, we heard 80%. We don't need to debate it, it's but anyway, the, state statute. The, the comparison is what you came here a year ago pre presenting to now. And the difference between that is tax revenue that's foregone. How much that is, honestly, I'm not sure because the city is gonna be giving up foregoing some tax revenue compared to your proposal a year ago. But in addition, you're also gonna get some credits back from the state of Michigan for providing 
I don't know. Well, I don't know all the terms of that part of it, because that's that's something the state and you have agreed to, as well as LIHTC, which is another credit. So you get really two different tax credits, which is really cash. One of them is in the form of a grant, which is a $3 million. The other is a credit, which you can turn around and sell for cash. Um, and then you're coming to us for this part of it. So in, you have to kind of keep this whole picture together in terms of the whole economic effect. And then in terms of we need to evaluate that in terms of what we're getting as a city is to fulfill a need. So correct me if I anything I just said, you said I've got it wrong. So I just repeated it. You can maybe correct me. Well, it, it's tough to correct you. You've made you've insinuated and put words in my mouth. And I'm not going to go through and talk about every one of those that you've done. However, what I will do is we'll talk about, we can talk about the AMIs, what, where we've gotten, and then we can talk about impacts of this project. You said there was no impacts. What is Midland getting? What does Midland get if this project goes through? There are impacts that people spend money, um, they visit places, they create uh, safer neighborhoods um, from being around, creating that walkable neighborhood aspect. Um, they spend money at stores. They frequent their patrons. Um, there's a national um, calculator of what happens when you can put in a certain amount of units into a neighborhood uh, in Michigan, uh, by county, actually. And it will spit out or uh, compute on average, which they can use from formula, what the economic impacts are of 50 years, which we have shown up here. People are good for the economy. We have stakeholders that have come through, and they have said that we need housing. River Gattis has a good, if not great, reputation in delivering what they said that they were going to and keeping their products, their assets, their real estate in good quality condition. We're, again, we're trying to build homes, and it takes a community to build a community. Um, I'm asking you tonight uh, to uh, please uh, take this into consideration of everything that we spoke about. The only difference in the plan is because of what I heard last meeting at our second reading was that the council felt that the 45 years was too long. So we did some math. We came back at 30 years. And that uh, equates to two compliance periods, uh, which creates by itself protections to the city for the pilot of us keeping it affordable. That means that MISHTA and other agencies are going to audit this every year by building. If there is any concern about rents keep rent by the room or, or rent by the apartment are how are you going to manage that? That's going to be tough. Well, that's why we have managers. Uh, that's why we have audits. These are done every single year, every year. And if we make a mistake, it's a big mistake, and it costs money. Therefore, we don't make mistakes. We hire folks that don't make mistakes, that have histories and reputations of not making mistakes. We want to provide a great product. Um, Again, I'm very grateful for, for everybody that, that cares so much about this community. It's one of the reasons why we care so much about it. Um, I'm here for any questions about this development, um, if you need does, them. Does anybody else have any questions for Mr. McGraw? 
Council. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, Lacey, would you please read the resolution? This action gives first reading to an ordinance to amend Chapter 2, Article 13 of the City Code of Ordinances to provide a new pilot for an affordable 204-unit workforce housing development to be located at 115 East Lawn Drive. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, but first and second. All right, discussion. I have a question for Chris first. So Chris, we've heard a lot of discussion on the calculations, you know, just the overall math. Mishta, if there are any issues, it is their accountability to identify those and address those. Is that accurate? Mishta provides uh, strict scrutiny in these types of projects. They set the um, costs, they set the rents based on county. Mm -hmm. They um, administer the LIHTC underwriting. So there are eyes from Mishta that are involved, um, not in just this project, but all pilot oh, projects. Right under uh, state law and the uh, state has tasked Mishta as the authority to ensure that the um, the conduct of the developers, the money that's being spent, the rent that's being charged mm -hmm. um, are all above board. This is an area that um, is and could be ripe for fraud, so Mishta has a lot of oversight in these types of uh, projects. So that was my understanding. I've been dealing with pilots for years, but I just wanted to double check. Thank you. Any other comments? Um, yeah, I've got I've got a few because I think I still feel that what we're talking about here, we have to keep focused on whether we want to give a four percent pilot for thirty years for this development. It's not about housing, frankly. I think. There's a cost that might have left, but we're not afraid of, of housing or having people come here. This, this site is going to have some housing on it, no matter whether it's this one or something else. Something will be built here. Uh, so I think that characterization is not, is not fair. Um, what we're just trying to figure out is what is the taxpayer's role in this? I mean, as was pointed out, we've got bills to pay, and so we have to balance <clears throat> The ability to maximize, not, I mean, it was a school, but I think you almost have to take that away now and say, okay, what do we do going forward? Do we want to maximize the tax revenue? How do we do that? Um, and maybe what do we want to give up in tax revenue because it provides something else for us? And that, I think in this case, is the low-income housing, and that's what I was referring to. You can talk about all these other types of, of units, but in any, they could have, Rivercast could have started building a year ago. We approved that, that complex to go forward. They could have built it. It could have been done by now. And, we, and if they would have gone for the pilot, we would have been having some tax revenue. There's some debate about how much it is, but it would have been better. It would have been more than what we're seeing proposed right now, which, frankly, I'm still not entirely sure about what that is. Um, you know, and I, I would love to have our, our assessor look at this much more closely because I, you know, I heard what was said today. I've also talked to some other landlords about what their maintenance charge, their operation, and it's not 41%. I know, Maureen, you have some experience with this, too, but that's, that's a very high percentage. 
nobody is coming back saying it costs that much, and especially with a new building. So the other piece of it is, is, is 4%, right? Um, you know, we've approved two recent pilot projects at 9%. And given, I mean, there was the, the $3 million, it was mentioned that, that that's going to go somewhere else. Just to put it in perspective, that's, that's a state tax grant of $14,705 per apartment unit just for that piece. That's a which, lot of which subsidies. Are you, what are you talking I've about? I've taken $3 million divided by 204 units. So that grant that the state gave them to build this is for, that's without the LIHTC credit, which I still don't know what that number is. My point being is when you take those things, we could even grant a pilot at 10% or maybe 11%. It's unclear about whether we can go to 11 now or not. And they would still get all this benefit. We do not, and that wouldn't sacrifice as much tax revenue to the city, to the county, and that's another piece, Chris. I, I would, I would say that when I looked at this, that 45 days for the county to react is, is regardless of whether it's low income or workforce housing. But you can, I can debate that. But that's really a county issue. Um, that's they can do or not do. But is so. <laughs> And not only is it provide the, the question of, of low-income housing, but Mr. Giblin made a point of, is this, the, is this in the right place? Is this housing in the right place to provide for, for low-income residents? Um, he made an argument that it, it doesn't apply. And I thought it was somewhat compelling, frankly. Um, you know, and, and just kind of reiterating, it's still... And I hate to even quote numbers anymore because I'm not sure what the right numbers are in terms of how much tax revenue is foregone. You know, it's this 704,000 versus the 97,000. And, you know, that comes to, you know, for 30 years, that's still $18 million of tax revenue foregone compared to what, and this is, you know, not compared to zero that the school system was paying, but <clears throat> compared to what would have been developed as proposed last January here or a similar complex. Um, you know, we also heard from an employer come in. I mean, I, and I'll just quote kind of what was told to me. Is it the taxpayers or the employers paying low wages that should be looked to for the type for this type of housing? You know, where does the burden go? If, if you have employers who can't find affordable housing, is it the employer's job to pay more or is it the taxpayers to subsidize that, right? I, I don't pass judgment on it. I'm just saying that that's a, that's a perspective. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll remind people, too, because it's bugged me. This was set for last meeting. Mayor was sick, couldn't attend. River Caddis pulled it from the agenda. That's their right. But this is in Marty Wisbinski's ward. We knew he's not going to be here today. They were given the opportunity to, to not have it go forward today, but chose to. Um, the other thing is, since we've, been, we've already approved two substantial pilot complexes right close to here, shouldn't we see the impact of those pilots before approving another one? Yeah. So that's, that's something that, that weighs heavy on my mind. Um, and then just the numbers. I mean, honestly, I, I still, 
I don't know what the truth is on it, and, and which which unit, how many units are going to qualify as low income, how many are not, and so what is the true tax forgiveness that that is going to be at issue here? Because it makes a difference whether 80% AMI units um, are taxed at full value or they're taxed at the pilot. Um, and the city can set what is low income, as I understand it, is my reading of the statute. I think Chris, his notes said something to that, agreed to that as well, that the city, while you have the state can set what, what they think is low income, the city can also set its own calculation as well. So let me just throw those out and let other people speak. Yeah, low, low income is actually defined in the act as uh, up to 80% AMI. What the, the local body, local legislative body council can do is give a reduced pilot rate here, the 4%, and the length of time up to 50 years. In this case, it's, it's 30 years for that. But the definition of low income housing is uh, defined in the act as up to 80%, and then MISHTA is the authority that's charged with uh, setting what the actual income levels are, and the last report is May 15th of 2023 that that income is based on. Yeah. I think the so other thing the councilman might be referring to, though, is under the, uh, the by right, the 10% 10, 10 up for 50 years, you can limit or exclude categories uh, from that by right allocation. So that was where you could set other parameters within it by ordinance. Not done. We have not done it, but right, you could do that by it. ordinance. Yeah, only in the 10% category. In the 10, correct? In that yes. 10 yes. category, correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. But that was before council tonight. Right. Okay, so Chris, I have a question for you. So anything 80% over, you're paying taxes on? Ad valorem. Yep. Okay. Well, 80% or not 80% is included in that? Up to 80%. So anything over 80%, this project I think is proposed 30% to 120%. So anything above the 80% would be at ad valorem. Okay, I'll go next because I've done some more homework. And part of that is because we- Thank you. I need oh. you to speak a little louder, please. Is that better? <laughs> Okay, um, I said I'd go next because I've done some more homework because the last time, you know, we were asked to vote, um, I really wanted us to table it mm -hmm. so we can get more information because we had new information we hadn't had before. But since then, uh, some of the information I've been either able to gather from talking to people, one, this is mixed income housing, okay? That's exactly what it is. Secondly, for the businesses that have come and said, you know what, they're recruiting, they want to hire folks, there's nowhere to live. They're making two, three, four hundred thousand a year. We heard some of the jobs are between 19 and $21 an hour. But you know what, I went back to the businesses I've talked to, whether they're at that level or if whether they're between the 60 and 120%. And my question to them was, are these wages for these positions you're trying to fill competitive? All right, and some of these wages are more than competitive because it's not just a comparison done in Midland. It is done throughout the state of Michigan. So if you have a nurse here, and I'm just using that as an example, whatever their salary is, it is competitive throughout the rest of Michigan as well as potentially other states. If it's an engineer, and I know for a fact we have companies here trying to hire engineers. 
guess what? They're going to fall somewhere between that 120%. So when I hear that the housing, you know, at this point, 1,024, that's not including the numbers that the businesses are trying to hire and bring to Midland that they aren't able to bring here because people can't find housing. So will they stay in a, you know, facility, you know, this um, area, you know, forever? Maybe, maybe not. But the key thing is it gives them housing to come up and be able to um, get a job. So when we want to talk about employers paying more money, um, they are paying competitive wages for the market. Um, the second thing I learned is there are a couple of upcoming meetings uh, in the area on the housing crisis in our region. Um, so again, that's telling us there is a need, and I believe the first one is actually this, uh, this Friday. Then I'm hearing from retirees. Um, some are recent retires, some retirees, some have been retired for a while, and they want to downsize, and they feel um, like units, what they're seeing here are things they can afford because they don't want to retain, you know, the responsibilities of owning a house. So, you know, putting all that in mind, yes, I hear what you're saying, Steve, but I think there are other things we need to consider as we're making this decision. And then for the fact that, you know, again, the 1,024 units needed doesn't include, you know, the potential growth we can have from those that are businesses that are trying to hire. <clears throat> so that's where I stand. If we were to mirror uh, Princeton Court and make another court right there, and there's 30 houses, if you do, uh, it's, it would be, the house has got to be comparable. They're not going to be $400,000 houses there, you know. So the, that tax base would be two to $3,000, low end 2000 high end 3000 So you times that by 30, and it's still, even on the high end of $3,000, it's still $10,000 less than what we'd be making from that pilot. If we're going to consider giving a pilot to anyone, I think it would be, and you said you didn't know, I mean, it's, it's either 35 or 38 number of low-income apartments in this place. It's it's under 40. So Well, it depends how you define it. So 40%, 30 or 40% in this unit, in this complex, there's 35 of them. But if we're going to consider giving a pipe, my point being, but, but, if we're going to consider... the definition of six, uh, that Chris mentioned, you add, next, you add in the 60% category as well. 60% of AMI. Right, but and that if, jumps up to quite a bit more. But if you're going to consider giving a pilot, I, I'm looking at the 22 pilots we have, and there's eight without, I mean, eight or nine, but maybe 15 of them that are one, two, six. You know, there's at least seven of them that are just one, just one unit. I think there's. And this been is a, 40 units of. It, right. I think you have to look at it, though, that <clears throat> that, was, that was history. If you look at what we've done in, in the last 10 years, it's not those one-off units, right? As a matter of fact, you're talking the two right. we've used the Brackenwoods one, right? Which are all multifamily, large-scale uh, pilot units <clears throat> for you know shortened years, and actually the mo two more recent ones have been 
And one of the things I would, you know, I looked at this proposal, again, I'm just kind of repeating myself, but why are we giving the most generous tax break in the form of a pilot in this case when there's so many other tax dollars being used to subsidize this project and it's much more generous than the more recent pilots that we've approved. I don't think we should go, in terms of tax revenue, go backwards in time. I think the more, the more current ones that we had were probably more along the lines of where we should be going forward. Well, if we look at if we look at the ones from that came in from Deshano, they came in for a pilot because they were getting light tech dollars. Yes, they needed light tech dollars. So, I mean, those dollars are out there as those are, and they're going to go someplace. Those tech dollars are, are going to go someplace. I say they should come to Midland. Right, because, but that, and, we're not talking about that. Part. Yes, yes, we are. No, we're yes, not. Yes, we That's... are because you're saying we should not give. A pilot because he's getting other tax dollars. I'm oh. just saying we should not give this pilot proposal the way it's come forward at four percent. If they were coming, probably if they weren't so greedy, if they would have come oh, forward Steve, with four percent, if they would have come in with the same proposal that Deshano would ask for, would we be here today? Well, one, let me just say that Mishta helps them determine what it is that they need to ask for. <laughs> I, I mean, don't that, think so. Well, I think their mission is telling them what they can, what, <laughs> what can they can ask for, but how much they can ask for. Doesn't mean we have to grant it. That's why sure. the statute is worded so that we have the ability to give something less and still allow it to go forward. You know, I think the beauty of our community is how we all work together. You know, should businesses be paying for it? If they need the people, they should be paying for it. Well, you know, businesses come here. We have a lot of great people here because they. You know, came and they got a job here. They brought their families with them. People stayed. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, kind of how this community works. I think that we, as we have a way of partnering also, and we can partner on this pilot. I think that this, when I look at what this is and what it's intended to be, I think it's a great mixed use um, building where it really looks like what a city looks like. It's going to have people who may not have a lot of money living there and may have people with more money living there. I think it, it, it mirrors what I think, you know, communities are. I think this is a, you know, we had a concern about the 45 years. They've addressed that. I, I think this is a, a good use. I think this is a good use of our funds. Again, it's, it, there's going to be housing here. The question is, what's the, the role of the taxpayers here? And I think, you know, Tim Giblin summarized it pretty, pretty astutely when he said, they can make this project work without a pilot, but they don't want to. It's an opinion. So. All right, are we ready to vote? All right. Mr. Arnosky, your vote. Nay. Yes. Mr. Solar? Yes. Yes. Okay. That passes first reading. Three to one. Three to one. All right. That now takes us down to new business. Any new business? I have nothing for you. Anyone council have any new business? All right. Then seeing none, we're adjourned. Thank you.